0: Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio.
1: It's a people problem.
2: That's you, people, and me. It's so easy.
1: But we could solve this confusion if we tried instead Uh. of shooting. Plus, there's no excuse when we have mouths that could use them for apologizing and acknowledging oh, fault instead of falsely accusing, we, making threats, shouting, and verbally, and verbally abusing. You see, we can blame race because it's easy and it's legal, but the one common denominator, people, is people. People! Thereof, the problem is people doing evil things to get it and evil things with it. Humility has totally left us. The reason I'm here is to help you help me help us. It's a people problem. If you open your eyes, the problem people is that it is the people. You, me. Oh, don't you, you don't me. The problem is people that you are And, me. and, and In the three,
3: Welcome to Black Wall Street USA for Thursday, September 23rd, 2010. I'm Sonia Perdue, founder of Chicago's BlackBusinessNetwork.com. Our host is Mr. Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago, who is also the publisher and editor of South Street Journal for almost 16 years and presently a candidate for alderman of the 17th Ward, and he will be joining us shortly. Black Wall Street USA is the official broadcast of Black Wall Street, and we are proud to say that we've been on the air since December of last year and that we're holding steadfast in our efforts to sustain and increase black businesses across the nation. Uh, I took a look at uh, all the shows that I've done over the past year, Uh, CBBN on Blog Talk Radio, which is the network that we're on right now, has been on the air since last March. And that show was started as a marketing tool for the members of Chicago's blackbusinessnetwork.com to come on over and talk about their products and services. And in December, uh, Black Wall Street joined us in our efforts to get the information about out-about businesses in our community, and we've been going strong ever since. We appreciate you joining us every week. You can also listen to us every Thursday right here at blogtalkradio.com slash CBBN. I took a look at my numbers, and our numbers are steadily increasing. We certainly appreciate you. This is my 85th show. I, I couldn't believe it. Time just it just goes so fast. I could not believe that I done. I've done 85 shows. One day I just sat there and I looked at the blog talk instructions. I have read them really, uh, and I said, "We we need a show uh, for Chicago Black Business Network." Push the button and said, "Start your own show," and here I am, 85 shows later. And I say that to say to you, you can do it too. You certainly can do it too. You may listen to a rebroadcast of CBBN on Blog Talk Radio at www.wjpcchicago.com. They do a rebroadcast of our show every Saturday morning, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Our call in number is 347 Our call in number is 347 We want you to listen, but we certainly want you to join in with us. The chat room is open. That's another way for you to communicate with us, but we'd love for you to call in. You may leave your company information and website links in our chat room. That's another networking tool for you, and that lets us know who you are. Press the number one. You need to press the number one if you'd like to speak to one of our guests. You'd like to speak to Ron or myself. If you have questions or comments, whatever the case may be. If you'd like to join us on a future broadcast, just give me a call, 312-239-8835, or you may contact me by email on this site. You may also contact Ron Carter at 312-624-8351. Tonight, our um, I I guest will be Ms. Maria Tran from the Schriever Poverty Law Center, and she's here to discuss background checks and how they're used in the hiring process and you should know this information. This information is not only for ex offenders, although this show is centering around assistance to ex offenders and expungement. Uh also joining us will be Miss Esther Payne, who's the program director at Chicago Metropolis 2020, and she will tell us how they are involved in the process of connecting the ex-offender to prospective employers and a lot of different things about their program. This is our second show on this subject, and it's a very important topic. I'm going to tell you just one reason why it's very important. Uh, after I tell you who our other guest is, joining us later in the show will be Ms. Dorothy Brown, who is currently the clerk of the Circuit Court of Cook County. Ms. Brown will provide us with an update on the expungement procedures for Cook County. This information is so vital to our community and for the following reasons, not only for these reasons, but be- because of the numbers, the following numbers I'm going to give you, and the clerk's Office provided us with these numbers today. In 2009, there were 32,092 felony cases. There was 215,000 misdemeanor cases filed for a total of 247, 806 criminal cases filed in Cook County. Those are some huge numbers, people. But there are, if you get, as they say, get caught up in the system, there are certain things that you need to do, and there's a lot of information out here regarding these processes. And the people that we have with us this evening are going to give you the the good information, the correct information, the right information. You're going right to the source here. So what we'll do, and we replayed the other show that we had on Ex Offenders. We've re- repeated that show, and we'll repeat it again because we need to share this information with you. Uh, as people go through this process, and from what I've heard, they find it a little bit frustrating, but... It's a process, just like everything else in life. It's a process that you went through through the court system. It's a process. But you need the correct information. You need to follow the correct process, and it might make it a little bit easier for you. It might make it a little bit clearer for you. And not only that, those of you who are not caught up in the court system may wish to share this with people who have had these issues, who have had these problems, who have difficulty getting employment. You know, you have these issues all the time. Once again, you're listening to Black Wall Street USA. I'm Sonya Purdue. Let's welcome Ron Carter, the host to the show. Mr. Carter, welcome to the show. How are you this evening?
4: I'm doing pretty good, Sonya. How about yourself? How are you feeling?
3: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And right. uh, I want to, let's just before we our uh, I guess are gonna come over on in a little while, but before we go to the guest Ron, let's just give uh some updates on what's going on with Black Wall Street Chicago, almost three weeks after the first national convention. Just uh can you give us a little summation of what's going on with Black Wall Street right now?
4: Well, after um every uh summit, uh there is really uh an anticipation of work and follow up that needs to be done, uh even to the point that, as we think that we sometime are is getting a l- little bit focused, issues continue to develop, uh even to the point of like tomorrow we are having a press conference to save approximately thousands of jobs in which this is the Illinois back to work uh We are going to have a press conference tomorrow. Uh, to be able to try to extend this program where the federal government has put up money to secure employment. Uh, that they, uh, they pay for the uh, something like $10 an hour for these workers to be assigned to local businesses and community organizations to do the work. So our activities, even though our focus is the Black Wall Street Districts, There is an array of issues that we address as it relates to youth, as it relates to contract procurement, uh, as it relates to legislative agendas, even raising the question of black versus minority. Uh, And all of those are centered on our Black Wall Street districts. So we have approximately about uh, 16 initiatives that Black Wall Street is working on from uh black contractors to the neighborhood to a concept of a black better business bureau uh, to the uh, uh uh the hands-on support and networking which you're going to be helping to coordinate with the Chicago uh black business network and Black Wall Street as a networking um, a, um, a Session uh, That we have coming up And all of those are To enhance our presence Of sustaining and increasing Black businesses So as we Prepare for our summit That's going to be November the 20th We are looking at Taking advantage of the Holiday season uh, We want to make sure the uh, at least seven of the 11 Black Wall Street districts have, de- have been identified that we implement a campaign, a marketing campaign, that by the end of this year that those businesses will nod their heads and says they have seen an increase in revenue if they're cash registered from the effort of Black Wall Street promoting these districts, and lending that extra hand to help sustain them. So this is going to be going going on for at least for the seven districts of our 11. The other ones are certainly catching up, but from the last three years uh, that we have first started on 75th Street, then expanded on Stony Island, uh, Madison Street, so we're looking at Chicago as the um, Cheryl Jackson that was the uh, former president of the Chicago National Urban. I mean, I'm sorry, the Chicago Urban League, where she some kind of way made the statement that Chicago will be the next Black Wall Street. No communications between the chicago urban league and black wall street uh... but the mantle or the message that he she had put out there was the focus of what we have actually implemented here in chicago uh... so the 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 array of issues the array of programs and activities keep us pretty busy And I can say with that being busy, uh, we are going to be instituting another project, and that means that with that is an implementator for Black Wall Street, and that is the identification and to secure Sonia Perdue as the executive director of Black Wall Street. So as we talk about all those things that we're doing, guess who it rests with? <laughs> yes, guess else, Ron who Connor. it rest with. So, <laughs> but I feel good about it based on the work that you have done with the Chicago Black Business Network, and as you has uh, led that all the way with as the coordinator of our last national summit. And it's only fitting based on the strategic operations that you do that you take on that mantle of the uh, executive director of Black Wall Street. Uh, and with that in mind, there is a host of people that we are coordinating and working to help make your job as easy as possible. But do you know what the task ahead of us is that? We in the black community are still behind in parity to the economics of Chicago. And we're so much in, uh, behind, even when we talk about the, the subject matter of today, as far as the ex-offenders, that they are, especially in the black community, are not in parity to the population of the city of Chicago, so I was looking at some numbers where the black youth represent somewhere maybe about 51% of the population of the inmates' population, but yet it's somewhere maybe about 30% of population of the state of Illinois. So that's not the type of parity or that type of uh, high increase that we really want. We want to be able to have fair share of economics, not over our overbunded of share when it comes to the jail population, but given that that is the fact as we're looking at how we're going to prepare these uh the ex offenders back into the uh, mainstream, after leaving some form of uh, imprisonment, how are we going to create the jobs? How are we going to not only that, but create the businesses? I think that one example of preparation, whether you help someone that have just left jail or you help someone to get themselves established, There's been many great examples of ex-offenders, and I have to give all due credit to one, which is uh, Malcolm X. Uh, I think he spent maybe about five or seven years in prison, and he came to be world-known based on his experience in life that triggered into a, a, a nourishment of other people. So the the show tonight is not just about, I would say, preparing someone for employment, but preparing someone for the future of our communities. And that even with the stereotype of what we don't like regarding our youth, from the pants falling down to last night, uh, yesterday, the rampant shooting that took place, uh, to me, all that says is uh, uh, providing more for the the prison industry. So with the work of Black Wall Street, it still falls right in line with our show tonight. So you got me going, Sonia, on uh, the agendas of uh, Black Wall Street, even to the point as it relates to the importance of businesses taking advantage of programs that can lead to employment. And we want to pay close attention to that because without providing the businesses with the benefits and the resources to hire ex-offenders will leave us in a a, a major void in the community uh, by not being able to accommodate them with the resources that they need. So we're moving, and naturally, congratulations as you move forward as the director of Black Wall Street, Chicago.
3: Thank you, Mr. Carter. Now, in that you're listening to Black Wall Street USA, and that's Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street, Chicago. Now, in listening to you, just in those past like seven minutes, uh, I think long? you covered like I think you covered like a hundred issues.
4: <laughs> okay.
3: That's how right. big That's how big the problem is, and that's pretty much. Uh, if I look at it, uh, I saw the building one time, and I took well, as I took the the person into the building. I want to be very clear. I said, when you go into this building, they really want this building really bad. I say, but you're gonna have to touch everything. You're gonna have to put your hands on everything in this building because it mm-hmm. needed repair. It needed upgrading almost everything. It was a great building, but it needed work and When you were saying all these issues uh we have our people are great they 're still great, even with all these issues but when you said Let's start listening to all those things, I was thinking, we pretty much still have to put our hands on everything because that 's what it is pretty much coming down to uh We still have a way to go. Also, one of the things that you said, uh, yeah, you're making a big job for me, Ron. One of the things that you That's said right. is uh, <laughs> uh, when you were talking about uh, people with so-called criminal backgrounds, you, one person you mentioned was Malcolm X. Well, Reverend Al Sampson said, if you haven't been in jail, where you been? What I haven't been. When he says that, he's saying, "What I haven't been. Thank goodness not yet. But you can also look at Mandela. You can also look at. Martin Luther King, you can look across the board uh, at a lot of people who rose to greatness uh, and had and, and was and spent time in jail for a lot of different reasons. So when we look at the ex-offenders, all ex-offenders are not the same. Because I've had conversations with them. You've had conversations with them. We know that they are not all the same. Yes, there will be people. There are people who are a danger to us, and there's a place for them, but there are people who come through and they never want to go back. They never, ever want to see it again, don't want to be a part of it again. But And we have, to, we have to all, and part of what we're doing, provide a tool, which uh, when we speak to Ms. Payne, the program director of Chicago Metropolis, and uh, Ms. Dorothy Brown and Ms. Tran, this is what we're talking about, finding another path, providing them with some more information, because they are desperate. Desperate, desperate. You know it. I know it. For this information, also, oh, yeah. uh, I want I want to say one thing. You said you're having a press conference tomorrow, but you just say regarding the Put Illinois to Work program and, re, uh, and stating that. Where's the press press conference, and what time is that, Ma?
4: Yeah, well, it's going to be right here at the South Street Journal's office at twelve noon. Here at our office, we're going to be very short. Uh, It's going to be no more than a half an hour. We're also expecting uh, representatives from around the city that is part of the Illinois Back to Work program. And we're also uh, expecting support from uh, the governor candidate, Scott Lee Cohen, who's going to be on uh, with us in support in identifying the resources to keep this program alive so that we can keep those people employed after uh, September the 30th. So it's going to be right here at 12 noon at 449 East 31st Street at South Street Journal's office, and also in conjunction with Black Wall Street office at the same time.
3: That's great. Uh, You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with Ron Carter, Chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. Our guests are on the line, and we want to thank them for joining us, but we want to go over a few more things before we go to the phone lines with them. We want you to know that uh, Black Wall Street Chicago does hold a weekly committee meeting every week, Thursday, right here at 449 East 35th Street uh, at 830 a.m., and you are welcome to join us. Now, one thing, Ron, we sent out some information this week. Uh, We sent out a blast to about 12,000 people, and it was a message from the chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. What was that message about, Mr. Carter?
4: Well, um, I think that the message was really for twofold. Uh, I am very honored and uh, privileged uh, to have been the chairman of Black Wall Street uh, it definitely has been some challenging, but I can admit that it has been just as much fun as it has been challenging and the uh, the ups and downs that we have uh, witnessed. Uh, but I feel very honored and very grateful that God has sent me into this place to be chairman. However, um, if I can use the term, and I don't normally quote this man, but um, Mayor Daly says it's time to move on. And I haven't got no uh, uh, corruption that's making me go and move on. I haven't got no uh, skeletons that make me to move on. But uh, I'm moving on uh, to step down as chairman of Black Wall Street uh, for the point of running for Alderman of the 17th Ward. Uh, but regardless of the point that, uh, stepping down as chairman to run for Alderman it, it still is a, a a message that Black Wall Street is stable enough to the point that regardless of who the chairman is because we got a hell of an executive director that's coming into place to keep things in place as well so um, yes I'm stepping down as chairman and we have put out an announcement Throughout the public, that we are looking for a new chair, and there is a um, um, RFP, a request uh, for qualifications to fill that position, with some um, uh, examples of uh, what that person have done and what that person have to do in order to take on that position of chair. So, yes, we are um, looking for a new chair for Black Wall Street, which is going to take place at our next Summit 14 on November the 20th. So that's the message, uh, Sonia. And, again, it's just such an honor, but I'm going to continue to work with Black Wall Street, even to the point that the district that I'm running in of the 17th Ward uh that we are going to be bringing south T, uh I'm sorry bringing uh the uh, black wall street to the 17th ward along with other wards throughout the Chicagoland land area so yes that's that nice message here
3: that yes it was and uh we're going to share some more information about that in upcoming shows and the deadlines but if you'd like information, you can call uh, regarding the chairmanship position. You can contact Ron Carter at 312-624-8351. That's 312-624-8351. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in upcoming shows. And we're going to also talk about some upcoming events uh, later on. But first, I think the first thing that we're going to do, Ron, we're going to go to our first guest, uh and that is Ms. Payne who is the program director of Chicago Metropolis and we're going to welcome her to the show. Good evening Ms. Payne, how are you? Let me let me get her on here. Good evening Ms. Payne, welcome to the show.
5: Thank you. Good evening. How are you?
4: Okay. How are you this evening?
5: Good, thank you.
4: Okay. Glad welcome to, be- to... Okay. Welcome to um Chicago's Black Business Network with uh, Black Wall Street USA. Um uh, Ms. Payne, we basically kind of touch a little bit on the the parity, the unparity of, you know, within our particular community of the African American whereby one agenda of the uh, Black Wall Street uh, was parity based on the economics of the community. Uh, but it seems as though we in the black community have a too much of a share of the uh, prison population. Is that an over-exaggeration? Um,
5: unfortunately, not. Um When thinking about disparities in the prison population and how it impacts the community, 7 out of 10 people in prison will be people of color. And so that is an unfortunate and high disparity. And we call it disproportionate minority contact or disproportionate minority confinement. And we're looking at ways by collecting the data so that people are able to understand the issue and really show it um, by proof of the data rather than our word of mouth. I think sometimes for the decision makers or for other communities to understand the issue, the only way that you can objectively demonstrate the issue is by showing them the data.
4: Well, with that in mind, has the, uh, the program of Chicago Metropolitans, uh, Metropolitans uh, 2020. How did you all come to the, uh, yeah, first of all, let me get the uh, the, the, the focus of the name, uh, Chicago Metropolitan 2020.
6: 2020. Uh,
5: 2020.
4: What right. is the focus of the name?
5: Chicago Metropolis 2020 was um, birthed out of the plan for Chicago. Um, If you think back 100 and something years ago with the Great Chicago Fire, there was a plan put together for how to rebuild the city. And 100 years later in 1999, um, that plan was reviewed in an effort to sort of think about whether or not the city had accomplished its goals in creating a new city and rebirthing the city. And so um, a follow-up plan was created and Chicago Metropolis was put together in an effort to carry out some of the recommendations for the plan. One of the areas, um, in the area that I work in, I'm not director of the whole agency, I'm director of program director for one small area, um, called justice and violence. And one of the purposes of the plan was to look at transportation, regional planning, housing, um, and different issues like that. And so at the time that the plan was being rebirthed in 1999, Um, There was discussion around how to create a safe city. You could have the best transportation. You could have the best housing stock, the best tourism, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't have a safe community, people are not feeling safe, then what do we do about that? So in order to create a city that's considered a global city, a metropolis, um, the goal was to think about how, Justice and violence, and the criminal justice system impacts our community.
4: So, where does the um, the criminal or element or the safe community? So, is this here more of the the, the reentry for ex uh, offenders? Is that more of a project of um, Chicago Metropolis Twenty uh, Twenty? Is that yes, it is, one oh. component
5: of agency. And so in Justice and Violence, we focus um, on the reentry issue. We really focus on the entire cycle of violence. And so our goal in Justice and Violence is to educate communities and policy makers about the issues of cycle of violence. And so we start um, by informing people about exposure to trauma and violence at very young ages. Our thoughts are that and research shows that when children exposed to violence in their communities, in their households, and in their families at very young ages, it impacts their development and they are more likely to either become victims of future violence through relationships, community violence, etc or perpetrators of violence, and research has also shown that 70% of kids in the juvenile justice system right now have been impacted by trauma and violence in their earlier years, and a good portion of those youth are also kids who have touched the child welfare system, whether it has been abuse and neglect. Um, and so knowing all of that information, we also know that kids who go into the juvenile justice system are have a high percentage of them going into the adult system. It's almost like a natural crossover, and children of incarcerated parents have a high likelihood of going into the system. So our goal is to educate policymakers on the issue, um, helping them to understand the entire cycle, and if we don't create effective interventions and prevention programming at the front end, then we'll see the impact at the back end, whether it be through violence that impacts our communities now, whether it be through savings and cost to taxpayers and so whether it be through human capital, people um who go through the system are coming out back into their communities not able to get that second chance that's needed to effectively contribute to their communities.
4: Well, I have to um admit as a um as a child of a of a father that was in and out of jail since I was Mm, since I was maybe about five years old till so I was about seventeen years old, my father was in jail, maybe about mm, I think I've seen him maybe maybe about four years of, of that uh childhood that I had, even to the point that, as I grew older, I somewhat some kind of way had the thought or wouldn't have been a surprise if I was going to follow his traits be, mm-hmm. uh, in jail. So that was a uh, subconscious thought in my mind as I grew up, is that I will follow the same line of what my father did. Uh, it did not happen until I got about 40 years old, and, <laughs> and but that was a whole different story. So with that I believe that I don't know if he had the type of programs that you all have now, would it have any difference impact uh based on the the demographics of nineteen seventy one compared to two thousand and ten. Um with if Your program was enforced in 1971. Do you think that it would have had a difference based on the population of, um, say, the black community uh, having a higher percentage um, incarcerated?
5: Um, Well, I wasn't born yet in 1971, (laughs) but... (laughs) I definitely can say that I think it would have made a huge impact. Uh, One of the things that we've noticed throughout time is that laws have become more tough on crime. And so moving out of the late 70s into the 80s, when um, drugs began to emerge, policies that were um, being made were reactionary. And that's where we see some of the disproportionality because of certain laws that were being made to target certain communities or groups of people. Um, And so with that, we're in a space now, you know, 20, 30 years later, where we're trying to undo the work of all of those bad laws that were passed um, and taking another look at what people need when they are addicted to substances, um, needing treatment rather than incarceration, needing treatment for mental health issues, um, looking at ways to ensure that families are engaged in that process, looking at ways to ensure that community is engaged in that process. And so I think, you know, we learn from our past, and that's something that we're trying to take into account now as, you know, laws are being passed, we're really helping or making an attempt to help legislate, legislators and decision makers understand that when you pass these laws, you know, these are some of the ramifications, these are the costs, this is the fiscal impact, and so we really need to think about what is the end result and what are we trying to
3: achieve.
4: So with that in mind, the what is the uh, collaboration uh, for reentry? What, how are you all... Providing this collaboration, or is this basically from uh your agency, or is there a collaboration of other agencies that make this happen
5: correct and um in about two thousand five two thousand six are you still I'm sorry hello, yes, we're here. Mm-hmm. In about 2005-2006, the mayor of the city of Chicago, Mayor Daley, had um, initiated a group called the Mayor's Policy Caucus on Reentry. At the same time, the governor initiated a group, then Governor Blagojevich, um, initiated a group called the Governor's um, Commission on Community Safety and Reentry. The goal of both of these groups was to take a look at the reentry issue um, because we were noticing that the same 40,000 people entering the Department of Corrections every year were coming out back to specific communities and recycling through. The recidivism rate was very high, it still remains at about 50% or so. Um, And so with that, their task at that time was to develop to develop recommendations around how to handle reentry issues at the state level as well as here at the city level knowing that majority of the population of inmates within a department come from the city of Chicago and our surrounding Collar counties. Um, and so they produced a set of recommendations. In December 2008, Chicago metropolis was tasked with bringing both of those groups back together to sort of try to determine had those recommendations been implemented, and what was the status of them, what we needed to do to sort of address the issues that were ongoing, and if there were any new issues to figure out what were the newer issues that were emerging as you look at times changing and what's happening around the state in reentry. And so, the collaborative being a joint effort between the Mayor's Policy Caucus and the Governor's Commission was born, and their task was to look at four different issues. One being alternatives to incarceration for those people who are low-level offenders, nonviolent, cycling in and out of the system, Um, looking at housing, which remains an issue, education and employment and juvenile reentry, which was a newer issue, not so much new as we see it, but we began to recognize that youth who were in the adult system were also coming out, again, with no resources, no connection back to communities, trying to, you know, figure out ways to rebuild their lives and not knowing any other choices but to return to a life of crime, and so there you go again with that cycle going in and out of the system these things cost the state millions and millions of dollars and cost taxpayers millions of dollars. So our feat was try to try to determine, you know, what are the best practices around the country that are happening that can help impact each of these areas? What is the data showing us and how do we create effective programming that will address each of these issues and save the state? and taxpayers' money while also making sure that we're increasing public safety and getting people the services that they need. Mm -hmm.
4: So is there any um, unit count that you are measuring your uh, success and your progress?
2: Well, we are... How many
4: people that you're targeting and how many have you actually met with your target number?
5: Yeah. we are a coalition of about 3 to 400 people our goal is to create recommendations that will be presented back to the governor with specific strategies timelines cost analysis etc um those things will be presented back to the governor to the mayor to the legislature to Um, the Chief Judge of Cook County, as well as other jurisdictions around the state. and So we're not a direct service program, we're looking more at the policy and practice throughout the state so that our state can begin to take these ideas and implement them. The unique thing about the collaborative is that we've been able to establish partnerships with key system stakeholders and they have been invested in creating the recommendations so that these are not recommendations that will sit on someone's shelf, you know, after they're copied and produced. Our goal is to have actual strategies that, say, for instance, the Department of Corrections can go ahead and implement right away. Um, The other thing that we have been doing is You know, the work has been moving as we've been trying to work on collecting the research and the information to create our recommendations. So, for example, the business forums that we've held, and we've been able to partner with Black Wall Street to host one of those only a month ago, um, is to collect the information and the experiences that we've gathered so that we can... um, look at challenges and lessons learned, for example, with this particular effort, to figure out better ways to address employers and address communities when it comes to providing employment opportunities for people with criminal backgrounds, and so that's just one example of the work that we've done, so it's not really, um, we don't really have the ability to figure out how many people we've reached now or what have you. I think our measures will be based on how those recommendations will be implemented and from there determining how people are benefiting from the programs, services, policies and practice that come out of those recommendations.
4: Okay, uh, Payne, if you want, we're going to take a caller, and we want to move on to the next guest. Uh, uh Sonia, we have a caller on?
3: Yes, we do. You're listening to Black Wall Street USA with host Ron Carter, chairman of Black Wall Street Chicago. I'm Sonia Purdue. What we're going to do, we're going to go uh, to the phones. We want you to stay with us, Ms. Payne. We're talking to Ms. Payne, project director of... Uh, City Metropolis 2020, we want you to stay on the line with us, Ms. Payne. We're going to take a caller, and then we're going to go uh, to our next guest. We do appreciate you being here. Caller, uh, area code 773. You're on the air with Black Wall Street USA. Do you have a question for us?
4: Hello, caller?
3: Would that be be me? Uh, uh, This is Leslie Benjamin. I want to thank you guys for having me on tonight.
4: Okay, how are you,
3: Leslie? <laughs> I'm good. It's my first time having the opportunity to tune on to your show, uh, Sonia, and it's really a great show. A lot of uh, great information out here tonight, and I just wanted to kind of uh, piggyback on the putting Illinois to work piece that was discussed in tonight's show. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know that. No,
4: yeah. Go ahead. What's your comment? Go
3: ahead. Just to just give a brief comment. Um, sure. I think that the fact that uh, we are pushing for an extension is a a really big deal. Um, I know personally that there are people that are currently benefiting from this program that participate, not just uh, with the businesses uh, that uh, are able to uh, employ, uh, you know, employees, uh, but a lot of these people have an opportunity for the first time to work. Um, And they're being considered uh, for places such as working downtown and uh, municipal offices where they're having exposure to, you know, uh, administrative tasks that they wouldn't probably get if it weren't for programs like this. And, you know, it's a win-win for the business, too, because they can also recommend the best and the brightest because they've allowed themselves to open up these opportunities uh, for such employees that wouldn't otherwise have uh, this opportunity because they might be passed over because of their lack of qualifications. They're opening up avenues for these people. And in addition, uh, I think it was somewhat mentioned uh, earlier as I, you know, uh, participated in the conversation, Many of the people are building as we speak because they've been given a chance to uh, participate with the Putting Illinois to Work uh, project. Um, a lot of them didn't have jobs and there was hopelessness due to the fact that they didn't have you know, certain tangible, you know, the, the ability to get some of the basic needs met and this was extended to them, you know, and I think that it's great that Lee Cohen is back in the, uh programs like this, and we need to see more uh of this type of thing out there uh for
4: people who otherwise wouldn't have this chance right very good well um please uh, uh stay on the line, don't go nowhere. we may want to come back to that uh and but I would like to ask Ms Payne, are you familiar with the illinois back to work program uh miss Payne
5: Yes i am um okay. I actually does that-
4: worked- Okay. the um, governor's
5: office to try to ensure that we are holding slots for people with criminal backgrounds, so we're very very much aware. Mm
4: -hmm. Well, you understand that that program is in jeopardy of maybe uh, being ending uh, September 30th?
7: Yes,
5: and that's unfortunate. So we're just trying to continue to advocate and find various avenues to keep it going. There's been talks about extensions I haven't heard. I think a lot is going on due to this being an election time, and people are just, you know, not recognizing the full value of some things, and so those things that we need sometimes are often cut, unfortunately.
4: Right. Well, as Miss Benjamin was pointing out there and I don't know if you heard our program earlier, but we will be having a press conference here at South Street Journal's office to address that particular issue to uh raise the uh concern to have it extended. Okay. Uh Sonia, you was uh, are we for a break now or do we have our other guests from the uh Miss Marie uh Carrie, is she with us now?
3: She is with us. We want to thank her for being patient. You're listening okay. to Black Wall Street USA. Our caller number is 347 9477 leslie we want to thank you for joining us and we want all of you to know you can also listen to our show at blogtalkradio.com slash cbbn and we want you to know that leslie uh benjamin is also the new chair uh co-chair for uh the madison avenue district thank you so much for all that you do Leslie. we appreciate you joining us this evening i intend to do the very best that i can on behalf of the Black Wall Street Madison Project, there's a lot of great things that uh, we can expect to see change in our communities. So that way, we can extend opportunities for people that you know are uh, are, are privy to uh, projects like the Metropolis 2020. Uh, Miss Payne, I think that what you're doing. I've been listening to the whole show, and I think that what you're doing, uh, your your organization is up. Put it in a lot of good work in trying to break down the disparities and and, and at least show and uh, bring awareness to a, a, a problem that's been going for a long time. And what I also is that you know the more that we work hard on behalf of you know this issue, uh, the more that we can overcome it, and the more people that rally and support organizations like yours. Uh strength in numbers is always what I, I like to, you know, talk about. We we need to back and support, you know, organizations like yours and I think that, you know, what you're saying is very good and, and you're doing a great job based on what I've heard so far.
4: Thank you. We well, appreciate. there you go, Miss Payne. I mean that is is that something that you <laughs> could put in your endorsement sheet?
5: <laughs> Definitely. We appreciate Black Wall Street and your just thus far, and we hope to continue working with you all and getting the word out in the community.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Miss uh, Marie Tran, uh, pronounce your last name for me. I apologize. Oh, that's okay.
7: Um, Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Oh, okay. Um, Tran is fine. Marie Claire Tran is is my name.
4: Okay, Tran... uh, Tran Ling...
7: Yeah.
4: Okay.
7: But you can you can keep it a trend to make it simple. I have a lot
4: Okay. So you're with the Silver uh Silver, uh Poverty Law Center. What is that uh pertaining to?
7: Um, so the Shriver Center on Poverty Law um is a organization that works on um policy issues that affect Uh, low-income people, and uh, we work on trying to find broad-based solutions to some of the systemic issues that face um, low-income people. So we have um, attorneys that work on issues um, related to public benefits like the TANF program and food stamps. We also work on subsidized housing and public housing issues. Um, and asset building, and we also, and my my particular practice area focuses on um, employment and housing barriers for people with criminal records. So
4: are you an attorney? Yes. Okay. Uh, now one question, uh, again, even for my own personal uh, agenda here, as I be uh, talking to uh, a lot of young guys on, on the mm-hmm. streets, uh, first thing, they do say, well, I can't get no job uh, because of my background. Matter of fact, I'm so surprised, somewhat surprised, but maybe just reiterating my surprise, that the many uh, youth that reply, I can't get no job because of my background, I got a record Uh Uh, and I just can't get no job. So they somewhat seem as though they kind of give up on that. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is they say, well, I can't get involved because I can't vote. Uh, I want to clear that one thing out. Uh, In the state of Illinois, can uh, ex-offenders vote?
7: Uh, In the state of Illinois, it is my understanding, and I actually uh, do not have Actually, I actually have not looked this up very recently, but it's my understanding that in Illinois they can vote. Mm-hmm. So um, if there are any people listening, um, they should definitely exercise their right to vote because it's – it's. I, I know I think in other states, like Washington State, that's um, a different answer, but in Illinois they can't vote.
4: Well, uh, with that type of response coming to me often um, that I can't get no job because of my background. Uh, is there one place where employers uh, uh, can get their criminal background checks?
7: Um, well, you know, actually, I think a lot of people, when they think about um, a person's criminal record, they do think that there's just sort of one place that keeps the record somewhere, but Um, There are actually many places for employers to get criminal records. And so for businesses that are out there that um, are interested in trying to find um, criminal background checks, they should know that um, there's sort of a lot of different places that you can get criminal background checks. But if you sort of look at the entire universe of places that you can get them, you can divide them into two big categories. And one is the government. So, for example, the Illinois State Police has a big uh database where you, they can they keep criminal records and they can make them available to um employers for a fee and um so that's so the government is one type, and then the other type are private companies that collect uh criminal records from um the government and then package them and then sell them to employers. So um there, there are many different Does places. Does government kind of,
4: sell that to employers?
7: Um I think sometimes they can um uh package up the the records. But, and it's not just criminal records sometimes, it's just like records that are in the court system. Um and then and then yes, and then give them to I guess I guess it's more accurate to say that they give them to the um companies for a fee to package up the, the information and, and So are um, employers
4: uh, is that a standard procedure among employees to employers rather to do a criminal background check
7: Um I think that employers practices vary um a lot and some people um don't necessarily um Need to know about the criminal history, and so they don't ask about it. Some people just ask on their job application you know do, do you have a have you ever been convicted and then some people do take the extra step of getting a criminal background check and um it's become much more common since eleven um, mm-hmm. We've seen a lot more companies um, and a lot more industry decide that they want this information. Um, and so, there's been a steady increase since since 2001. Mm.
4: Okay, so, well, once an employer has a criminal background check, uh, what t- uh, kind of information should the employer be looking for?
7: Um, well, you know, in the in the state of Illinois, uh, the Illinois Human Rights Act actually prohibits employers from um, using arrests in their decision making on on potential employees, and so if you're an employer in Illinois, one of the things that you want to be able to look for are arrests, so that you can sort of set them aside and not consider them. Um, otherwise, you sort of you risk violating the Illinois Human Rights Act, and so um, so I think that's that's the number one thing that if you're an employer in Illinois. Um, you should be um, trying to be very um, diligent about separating out arrests, which, you know, we consider to be sort of accusations from the police um, and setting that apart from convictions, which are findings of guilty, the person has gone through a trial or pled guilty to a certain offense um and once you separate that out um and just look at the convictions then you you as the employer protect yourself from liability under the Illinois human rights act mm-hmm.
4: so um take for example before he was actually locked up uh say for example Al Capone with the many arrests he may have had um uh, is against the law to judge al Capone before he was actually convicted
7: well there was there's um there's sort of a, a a little caveat to the law where the law says that you cannot use arrest records but they what they're really talking about is if you find out about someone's arrest from like a piece of paper you know like you you don't really know anything about um an applicant and you get a piece of paper on him and it says that he has an arrest and you don't know anything else and and, and and the case was dismissed and nothing happened. You can't use inform you can't use that sort of information. But let's say somehow you um knew Al Capone and you knew that he did all these things, independent of the fact that there's a piece of paper that says that like, he got arrested. Then in those situations um the Illinois Human Rights Act, what you use that. What they're trying to really prevent is employers just sort of running criminal background checks, seeing an arrest, and not really knowing anything else and disqualifying people based on that. Because an arrest, you know, like we say, is really just an accusation. And if that person later becomes, if that person later is convicted, then you know they can use that conviction and weigh it against other factors, but... Um, when it's just an arrest that you're sort of getting on a piece of paper, Illinois doesn't really want you to just um, use it because they know that it can be very prejudicial to the applicant. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Well, we have a, um, a a caller on the line, and we'd like to take the caller. Can you hold on just so we can take the caller? Uh, Sonia? Sure.
3: Okay, you listen listening to Black Wall Street USA, and let's go to the phone line. Area code five seven one. You're on the air with Black Wall Street USA.
6: Yes, uh, I, I, you know, is Black Wall Street coddling prisoners and ex convicts tonight? Oh, uh, uh, who? Coddling? Are, are 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 you uh, trying to make excuses and trying to protect their so-called rights after they've gone out and, and committed heinous crimes? You know let, let, let me let me add this cuz I wanted to ask your, your previous caller this but uh well let well let me go to my second question and perhaps your guest can help me. Um you know uh when I I'm calling oh, where you from, calling from what, what uh, from what's Maryland. your I'm, name I'm Maryland okay. B. A. my name is BA I'm calling you from Maryland okay and uh oh, yeah. you know when when I and, and, uh, I'm sorry I, I was just well okay when I ran I ran for a school board recently and uh, Oh well, yeah, right. how you doing, sir? I, I remember I'm you. Doing I'm doing fine, thanks, Ron. I okay. wish you well in your Alderman's uh, races as well. All right. Well, let, 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 uh, all right, to, to, to come off in, in that vein because uh, <laughs> I, I apologize, okay. I, I know you're not. Coming. I apologize for that. Uh, because this is what happened when I was running for uh, school board here. Uh, now I'm not talking about minorities. I'm not talking about people of color. I'm not talking about poor people. I'm talking about black children. Okay, this is what I'm talking about: black children. Uh, in our public school system, they are performing, uh, terrible. They're struggling. Okay. When I, uh, looking for support in the black community, and I went to black organizations who were concerned about how blacks were being treated in jails, concerned about reentry, concerned about civil rights of prisoners, they were the biggest, biggest supporters of our school system, where the African-American population was doing dreadful. And and our public school system is a feeder for our prison, uh, our our jail. Mm -hmm. And they're the number one. uh, So my question to your guest is, how do you feel about the institutions that feed, in such as our school system, that feed into our prisons, that feed into people having a, a a a life of uh underemployment or joblessness or credit problems. See, I mean, what 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 because these these things just don't come out of a vacuum, they're created. And unfortunately, and unfortunately, we support a lot of people who say that they're fighting for uh, uh, people in jail but by the way I mean blacks have been in jail for A hundred years it's not just happened Because of crack we were in jail Before crack that Richard Pryor Tell it so I'm saying what, what are we doing to stop These things from occurring stop The poverty
4: well If Miss um, uh, oh, Pardon me Miss Payne Or Miss um, uh, uh, Tain, can you uh, Address this question
5: Yes, very briefly, all I can say is that I do agree with you, and there's a body of research just speaking particularly to the school issue around what is called the school-to-prison pipeline, and so here in the state of Illinois and definitely in the city of Chicago, we've tried to engage the school in this issue to help them understand that there are different ways to handle kids when there is a behavior issue or what have you, because many schools do resort to detention or calling police or, um, you know, having an arrest as their first line of defense rather than trying to um, figure out what the underlying issues are. And so we recognize that things that may have been simple things or not simple, but things that were everyday regular happening years ago are now um, classified as criminal behavior. And so we are working with schools, and the Chicago public school system in particular has um, addressed this disciplinary code and are looking at various ways to use balanced and restorative principles and looking at um, other options rather than calling the police. Is it happening in all schools? No. Do all principals buy into those processes? No. Um, are people in schools, teachers or staff um, fearful of students? Yes, that does happen. And so I think it just continues to be an issue of education and awareness and trying to change our minds about things that we are so used to doing and looking at other creative ways to handle situations that are not necessarily criminal behavior. Um, You know, there are a lot of institutional factors that lead to incarceration, and unfortunately, I couldn't be the expert on that or pretend to be and address all all of those issues. What we are working on is the reentry issue, and that issue is important because unless somebody gets the life sentence, they are coming back to their community, and they're coming back to where they left or from where they came from. And so it's an important thing to be able to effectively reintegrate people back into their community so that they can become contributing members of society. 40% of people who are incarcerated are not violent criminals, and so we're looking at ways to use different strategies for that particular population to ensure that the people who are violent criminals receive the punishment that is deserved, and the people who are cycling through the system because of low-level offenses to um, examine those issues and provide services because Most of those people are people, and data will show, again, it goes back to using objective data, but that's not the only way to prove this. The data will show that people have mental health issues. People have drug problems. There are underlying issues that cause people to um, become incarcerated, and so that is the spectrum at which we're looking at.
4: So the Chicago... um Metropolitan 2020, that is funded by the state as well, is that correct?
5: No, we do not receive state funding. Pardon? No, we do not receive state funding.
4: Okay, so it's basically private foundation funding?
5: Yes. Yeah.
4: Okay, what about the uh, Poverty Law Center? Is that uh, government funding, uh, Ms. Ty?
7: Uh It's also um, private funding. Okay. Um, can if I could add one thing to um sure. Esther's comments. Um you know we the Shriver Center on a national level works with this um with this uh, coalition of organizations called Behind the Cycle. And um one of the sort of one of the purposes of this group is to start looking at the issue before people get into prison. And so the idea um that the caller brought up about um education not being like Esther says like a, a pipeline to prison is a huge part of that and um one of the one of the hopes um that we have is that you know if we can if we can if we can limit corrections and law enforcement to the serious crimes, um we can help to make a dent in Uh, We can help pull resources away from corrections. Right now, corrections is one of the largest budget items in almost every state. I mean, it just takes so much money. And if we can reduce the money that we spend on corrections, we can invest some of that money into front-end type of things like increasing education, increasing early childcare, making sure that people have um, the supports that they really need at the beginning of life to lead a prosperous life and not have to go through, um, like, a, a bad education system like a lot of our youth are going through right now. And so I think the callers, um, um frustrations are very legitimate given um, the state of some of the education systems, and we only hope that if we can get less people going through um, the prison, a revolving door of prison. We can siphon some of those resources away from corrections and into some of things, some things like education.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, do you look at the? Uh, uh, I guess based on your, both of your programs are focusing on um, ex-offenders. Um, is there any type of uh, data or consideration that's looked at? uh when um, I believe that the numbers have I heard was this about three to four thousand dollars to educate a child per year opposed to uh for something about thirty thousand dollars to um uh, to hold someone in jail per year uh is there consideration based on the economics that uh to house someone in jail opposed to, to educating uh someone?
5: We actually use this um, policy argument quite often, um, and in a different way. We know that it costs about $2,000 to maybe $10,000 a year to give someone substance abuse treatment, mental health treatment, job training, you know, the spectrum of services that are needed in communities, whereas it takes about, Again, like you said, thirty thousand dollars to um incarcerate an adult per year, but on the juvenile side it takes about seventy five to eighty thousand dollars to incarcerate um the juvenile and so well,
6: as, um, per
5: year? Yeah, per year. And so as I mentioned before, we're spending lots of money and as Marie Claire just said, if we can, you know, divert some of these low level offenders and divert the dollars then we will save the state a great deal of money um right now there's a program called, called redeploy Illinois and that's for juveniles and they've shown that when you give communities the pro, the purpose of the program is to provide fiscal incentives to counties to treat kids in their community Um, rather than to incarcerate them. And so counties are able to apply for funding when they show that they have effective programming that can treat kids in the community. And so thus far, this program is about five or six years old, and it's shown that it's been able to reduce incarceration by over 50%. And with that, if we can actually closed beds or closed facilities, it would call it would save the state about nineteen million dollars.
6: We've recently
5: know. we've recently um started that program for the adult side. Um and right now there's a planning grant process for counties to apply for dollars um, with the agreement that they will reduce their commitments to um corrections by 25%. When they do not decrease their commitments to corrections, then they are penalized and they have to pay the state the money back. And so, again, using this fiscal incentive, if we're able to show the success of these programs, um, get legislators on board to continue funding for these programs and show the cost savings to the state. Um, We're hoping that in the near future we'll be able to actually close that, close facilities or wings of facilities and be able to actually save those dollars.
4: Now, is (laughs) there
6: any leverage? uh, Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah, one quick comment, a question. Uh, As Michelle Alexander has pointed out in her book, The New Jim Crow, uh, most state legislators aren't really that concerned about the cost of incarceration because the cost of incarceration results in a nice cottage industry for rural uh, people to work as COs and parole, uh you know, working in the criminal justice system. They get paid for that. So, I mean, there's not a big push to, to cut the cost, because uh, people uh, eat, eat off that cost. Unfortunately, the people who are incarcerated, uh, you know, they don't, uh, uh, the communities they come from suffer tremendously. But my question to, uh, to, to your guest is, What's the recidivism rate for uh, black men in the state of Illinois, meaning those who have been incarcerated? What's the likelihood of them being incarcerated again?
5: I don't have the recidivism rate for black men as a subpopulation of the general population of people incarcerated, but the overall recidivism rate for adults is about 51%, and for oh, wow. juvenile fifty four percent so they're twice as likely to return back within six month period
4: Thank well there is a um, a concern based on the um privatization of uh prisons does that have any bearing with your project implementation or projections of what your uh pro- what your program should be addressing uh when the the uh the focus of privatizations um in the profits of prisons does that have any bearing on your scope of operations, either one of you
5: at metropolis we haven't directly worked on that issue. I think it just seems to be um education and working with the legislature, again, to inform them of the policies and the fiscal impact that it holds, and hopefully, eventually, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we'll be able to close some beds, and people will see that there are other ways to invest money in communities to provide jobs. Um, If you take away a job focused on, you know, incarceration, we're hoping that we can Replace those jobs with treatment and with rebuilding communities rather than harming them.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so as uh, we move on from the um, uh, uh, getting the working with the employers as far as hiring ex-offenders to uh, the point of the the stereotype that. An ex offender will have in wanting to secure, um, a better life with their, um, with the cloud in their heads that they're not, uh, employable. How do you all kind of close that particular gap with the, I guess, with the, uh, the mindset of ex offenders? Um, do you see that that is a, a problem within their own, within their own selves or is that one of the major issues given the 50, uh, 51 and 54 percent, uh, return back to uh, the prison life?
5: I'm sorry, I'm not really understanding this. Well, are you saying? Uh, based on
4: the, uh, the the mindset of the ex-offenders, uh, is that one of the major problems to the point of the high return back to prison? Uh, is there counseling uh, involved in this process with the uh, ex-offenders?
5: I think um, from my perspective with the alternative to incarceration work that we're doing, it's all about promoting treatment and the recognition of treatment. And treatment doesn't mean that you are sitting down with a psychotherapist or, you know, what have you. People sort of take that and put it in this traditional context where, you know, on the cultural side from the black community people don't believe in therapy or whatever. So if we take it out of that context, treatment means for us, you know, providing services that are evidence-based, that are effective, and that will help somebody and provide the necessary supports that are needed. Treatment would include things such as counseling, substance abuse treatment, um, mental health treatment, I'm sorry, mental health treatment, um, employment, education skills, life skills, all of those things that are necessary to put a person back on their feet. People are resilient, and if you provide the proper support, then we know that resiliency will eventually manifest itself. I think that people just need um, those proper support, and when they go into prison... Um, One thing I know that the Department of Corrections is working on is providing life skills training and treatment and better assessment of what people's issues are and what their assets are. What do they like to do? What are they good at? And how can we capitalize on those things so that when they are released, they have a starting point? It's not just all about looking at people from a deficit perspective. Mm
4: -hmm. Now, what about the? Uh, how is the uh, the business form project initiated, and what are the goals there?
5: Um, one of the primary issues that emerged out of the governor's commission a few years ago, as I mentioned from the um, previous governor, was I'm sorry, I have my kids, and so it's getting close to bedtime. <laughs> one of the issues merge was how to engage employers. And so picking up on their recommendations, we were trying to figure out what the strategies were to really be able to interact with employers, you know, and to educate them and provide technical assistance on what they see the issues being. It's you know, it's very hard to engage employers in the subject of hiring people with criminal backgrounds. If they do hire They don't want people, you know, a lot of people to know, and if they don't hire, they don't see it as an option because of the risk that they associate with it, um, not wanting to impact their business, and not wanting to affect their bottom line, all of which these factors are very important concerns. So for us, we were trying to figure out what are the best ways to engage employers, and we picked up on a model from – Actually, Boston or Maryland, Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland, um, where they were doing this very same kind of business forum project. And the purpose of the business forums is to provide um, information that will help dispel the myths that employers have about hiring people with criminal backgrounds. And so engaging them in How to read or teaching them or giving them the understanding about how to read a criminal background check, as Ms. Tran mentioned earlier, um, helping people to understand what the governmental, federal, and local state tax benefits are, um, any fiscal incentives associated with hiring people with backgrounds, um, helping people to understand the liability issue, and that it's not always a risk um, based just on what insurance companies say, and so we try to provide that type of ac- accurate information, getting the experts who know about the topic, like Ms. Tran, um, Mr. Algy Crivens from Department of Employment um, Security, and CS Strategies, which is an insurance agency and one of our partners in this project. And so we've been able to capitalize on the information that they have to bring this directly to communities. And I know that businesses say, Well, I don't feel like I can hire. It's a bad economy, so I can't give a regular person a job, let alone a person with a criminal background. Well, you know, we try to say that it's important that when the opportunity presents itself that they have the necessary information and that you work with agencies that support people with criminal backgrounds so that you know that they've gone through employment training, that they've gone through life skills training, that they know how to carry themselves on the job. All of those things are very important when considering hiring. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Well, with the uh, Silver, uh, Silver Property Law Center and the uh, Chicago Metropolis 2020, are you all in collaboration together as well? Yes yeah our
7: Pardon? Go ahead. oh we've been working together on these business forums along with um Londo Employment network and chicago jobs council um mm. and then we've also been working together as part of the i mean this is this is basically um part of our work as the <laughs> part of the collaborative on reentry mm-hmm. okay
4: so the uh pr- the, the outlook in uh see- oh,
7: just wait.
4: Hello. You there?
5: Yes.
4: Yeah. Okay. So uh the the outlook uh toward the future given the uh for example, uh do you look at the say for example what has been happening here in Chicago? Uh, regarding the uh unfortunate uh killings and the shootings, even to the point of if you all listened to the news uh last night uh does that have does that send you all to your boardrooms uh to discuss uh the current uh crime element in the city or is it basically just there here are focuses? a lot
5: of um people coming to tables right now to try to figure out ways to collaborate around this issue, and I think that, you know, for community and people at the local level, they, you know, sometimes feel that those people who are making decisions don't necessarily care or hear what's going on in community, but um, as a person who sits on both sides of the table, you know, from community, but also, you know, having the opportunity to sit in those boardrooms um, from from time to time, I can say that those issues are being addressed, and people are really working to try to figure out, um, not on their own, but listening to community, um, what needs to be done around this violence issue. The governor has just initiated an anti-violence commission. Um they've had town hall meetings around the community. I think uh two weeks ago, one was at Inglewood at Kennedy King College. Um just this past Monday, one was being held in Tulsa. They will have a few others as well as a few downstate in Peoria and um I think in Carbondale or somewhere um way and so I think that people are trying to decision makers are trying to hear what the needs of the community are and partner with community to figure out strategies around how to address this issue.
4: Mm-hmm. Well uh, I understand that the uh the state uh, along with the Illinois Department of Correction has instituted a um a a a collaborative with different law enforcement agencies uh to have a a joint uh uh, get tough policy as well as a uh, preventive policy that's coming from the state of Illinois. Is that shared with your organization, uh, taking consideration that you are mainly uh post-inmate uh, opposed to <laughs> a pre-inmate, if I can, uh, if that's fair to say?
5: Um, I'm
4: not sure I can answer that. I don't quite. I'm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, the, uh, the well with South Street Journal, we basically just did a a story on the um, uh, I guess the uh, black youth, and we also included the state of Illinois with its initiatives. Uh, this all derived from the case when uh, elected officials indicated that they wanted to bring in the National Guard. So we looked at the whole big picture, Uh, but I guess maybe you did uh, address it when you state that people are sitting at boardrooms and and meetings uh, to discuss the current uh, conditions of the uh, other cities when it comes to crime. Uh, But if I can, we do have another caller on the line. And maybe we can bring them on. Uh, uh, Sonia, uh, we have the other caller.
3: Yes, we do, Mr. Carter. You listen to Black okay. Wall Street USA. Caller from the 773 area, call, last for a digit 6831. you on the air. Welcome to the show.
4: Hello, caller. Hello. Hello. Yes. How are you? Your name and where you're from? I think they are they're a little bit occupied. Hello, Carl. are you there? I guess they're okay.
3: not <laughs> okay, okay. I thought I heard them. They raised their hand. Listen to black wall street u s a uh, Brian, let's do this let's uh we are we are still expecting Dorothy Brown Kirk, the Circuit uh, court. She's supposed to step out of a meeting and call us. But this is, this is what we're going to do. Uh, since it's getting close to somebody's bedtime, and maybe all of us, let's ask for some closing remarks from our guests, which we are very thankful that you joined us with this great information. And we could go on and on and on. So let's ask for, uh, from, um, for some closing statements from our guests, Ron, and then we'll talk sure. about some of the upcoming events okay. for Black Wall Street.
4: Right yeah can you give us some uh, an overview of where you are where you hope to be and how the community can be more conscious and take part as it comes to ex-offenders
5: uh, I just like to say that it's important for people to understand that people who are incarcerated do come back to community and they come back every day. Droves of people come back to the community every single day, and particularly in Chicago to a few primary neighborhoods, that being Inglewood, Roseland, Austin, Garfield Park, um, and a few others, North Lawndale. So people are going to come home, and it's up to us on the policy level as well as at the community level to figure out the best strategies to reintegrate people back to their communities. That includes treatment, that includes employment, that includes education opportunities um, and that includes family engagement and community engagement and so we can't just turn the cheek turn the blind eye and say, well, I don't have anything to do with that, because, you know, those are our brothers, our sisters, our daughters, our sons, you know, and not always for, as I mentioned before, the most violent issues. Um, so that's one thing I like to leave the crowd with, is knowing that people will come back and we need to figure out the best ways to reintegrate them, and we need to think about prevention at the front end, and what can be done to keep people, keeping our kids, our youth from going into the system in the
4: first place. Okay, thank you. Uh, Marie?
7: Well, I think Esther captured a lot of um, our similar sentiments, but I think that, um, you know, if if you're a business out there, you know, businesses are uh, definitely um, struggling right now, and sometimes, you know, we do hear that they are kind of, Focusing on how to make sure they keep afloat and to keep um going in these hard economic times, um I would just implore some of the businesses though to um just consider the population that we're talking about not only because um you know we're not not only because we think it's something that you should do, but as Esther said, it's something that um, helps the overall community if we can divert. People away from prison and jail. Um, then we invest in the people. We invest in the people that we're hiring, but and also um, the community, so that we have um, more resources in a time when there is limited resources um, to help everyone. And so, um, mm-hmm. okay. criminal background. it's we are definitely. I mean, we know that businesses are doing criminal background checks, but remember to look at the individual, and not just at what's on a piece of paper.
4: Oh, thank you. Uh, I'd like for thank both of you for being here. We'd like for you to stay on with us because we have just been joined by uh, the clerk of the uh, circuit court, uh, the Honorable Dorothy Brown. How are you doing, Ms. Brown?
0: I'm just fine. How are you?
4: Uh, We're doing fine. Uh, I guess I, uh, I have not talked to you in a while, but I do want to uh, formally thank you for the proclamation that you uh, presented to Black Wall Street on our 75th Street uh, project, uh, just to let you know that that, pro- uh, that proclamation that you uh initiated uh I guess it's about close to two years now has uh led us to have eleven black wall streets around the Chicago land area. Wow. So That's yeah, so we're moving. Um,
0: uh, yeah.
4: I'm sorry, pardon? Hello? I'm still here. Oh, you are? Okay. Well um uh, Ms. Brown, can you, what is, uh, I understand that you have been doing a lot of work regarding the expungement. Um, how does the, uh, the clerk of the circuit court, why has this been a major initiative of yours? And in what capacity of your office that led you to this, or is this something that uh, out of your own? Uh, Initiative to take a major Role in the spongements
0: Well This really um, Was something that I Took on because of something That one of your other guests said You know these are our children Our grandchildren Our sisters, our brothers uh, And uh, you know we just have um, uh, A You know responsibility To help them um, get that second chance, sometimes it's the third chance, but be able to become productive citizens. And so once I took office and uh, realized um, the role that the, court of the Circuit Court plays in, in expungement, uh, where we accept expungement applications, um, we, I decided to expand that in whatever way that I possibly could to give out. Information on expungements to do initiatives to to uh, communicate to the community and also to host the expungement summits. So we've just kind of taken this expungement to another level, uh, and uh, it, it's just a desire to 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 help our you know people in our communities um, live a better life. And an effort too. And I was. Uh, at a, a summit today, and I see you have Miss Frank Payne, and she was there as well. Um, in an effort to reduce crime, that summit was about crime reduction and and new ideas as to how to uh, do that. And so, as we reduce, as, as we help people get a better way of living, mm-hmm. and making a living, if you will, then they won't uh, have wind up going back to jail, committing a crime to go back to jail.
4: Mm -hmm. Now, Ms. Ms. Tan from the uh, Civil uh, Property Law Center is working with uh, former inmates as it relates to uh, working with employers as well uh, on the uh, criminal background checks. Uh, How does that, the expungement um how does it, these two work or do not work uh, together as um employers are looking for criminal backgrounds but then you said that there is an expungement uh can you give me uh so what is first what is second Are you are you saying that you your record is expunged but yet employers are still looking for criminal backgrounds or you're safe if you're expunged and you're not safe if you're not expunged? Can you elaborate? Well, um, you know,
0: there, there's several things there. Uh, there's uh, expungement and there's filling. Um If you get your records expunged, you actually can um, have the police department files, the police attorney's files. Of uh, the illness, they please found you can actually have them mail those to you, and you can tear them up. Um, I take them out of my system so that if someone searches your record in my system, it comes up as case not found. Um, sometimes some of these agencies that do background checks, they may have done or pulled that information on you prior to your expungement, so that it may still be in their information if an employer does uh, a, a background check, they may still have it. But as far as the official records are concerned, they, the records will come up as as case not found, they would not find anything on you. That's for expungement. As well as filling and filling, oh, let me just finish expungement. From an expungement standpoint, the courts, however, in my office, we hold on to it even though we take it out of our computers because if anything else ever occurs, if there's any other crime committed, then the court, the law enforcement can pull it back up and then have something to compare. But they, can, they cannot um, use it for background checks. For filling, all of those agencies that I talked about that can send it to you and tear it up, they don't do that. They hold on to it. They, file, they fill it away from view, and it takes a court order to bring it back in order for someone to know whether or not you have something on your record or not.
4: Mm-hmm. Now I asked a question earlier and maybe you would know this. Um um ex um, inmates uh are is there certain levels of being able to vote or not?
0: Yes. Um and that's the trend in the state of Illinois can vote, period. You can be in Cook County Jail. You know, there's a polling place in Cook County Jail. As long as you oh, have no. not been convicted, yes, there is. They do voter registration there. They do, uh, and they permit them to vote. Um, so, you, as long as you're just in jail and have not been convicted, you can vote. Once you're convicted, and uh, you, as long as you're in prison, you cannot vote. When you let go uh, and you come home, you complete. In the state of Illinois, that is, you can vote. Now there are certain states in the United States where an ex-offender cannot vote, and so you can't. But the majority of the states in the United States, you can vote as an ex-offender. Mm-hmm.
4: So, from the uh, Cook County and your work as relates to expungement, is there a particular number of people that you are impacting? as far as punchment as is concerned, or is there a particular goal based on our earlier conversations in the show where there are thousands and thousands of people that are released, uh does that does your initiative try to meet the number of inmates that are being released back into a uh, society as a goal for expungement, or how does the how do you measure uh your tasks at hand when it comes to expungement? Is it a number or is it just based on those that inquire or you try right. to outreach to a certain amount?
0: You know, I have uh, when I have my expungement summits annually, we have over three thousand people to show up. Now three thousand people
4: to show up to an expungement summit,
0: yes, but ninety five percent of those do not qualify for expungement um when you are uh most of the uh, uh, most people that are, have been found guilty and or they have been convicted and go to prison um, probably don't qualify for expungement. most of the expunge, expungements generally are misdemeanors, Uh, you got a few two felonies I believe that qualify for filling felony conviction, that law was passed a couple of years ago that's first offense of um, prostitution passport prostitution and first offense of passport cannabis, those two qualify for filling, those are passport felonies those two felonies qualify for filling, but for the most part, on the expungement side, unless you were found innocent, um, SOL, plus, um, something of that nature, uh, where you were not convicted and it was a felony, then that's expungible. But other than that, if you were convicted, so when people come back from prison, they don't qualify for expungement by the court. Now, after a certain number of years, they can qualify for a pardon and expungement by the government. And so what we do at our expungement summit, because we know that we're going to have a a lot of people coming and that's in that situation, we have a full service expungement summit between the Illinois Prison Review Board to our summit. We usually have at least three board members and several attorneys, and uh, they talk about pardons, executive premises from
4: the government. Mm-hmm. So um, with three thousand showing up to one of these expungement summits, and you're saying really about five uh, percent actually would qualify to have their records expunged. Right, but what we do is
0: we have we have something there for everybody okay. uh, when you show up. You know, like I said, we have, have they qualify for they may qualify for expungement by the by the governor. That's why we bring the Illinois Prison Review Board there to teach teach people how to file for a pardon and expungement by the governor. And then we have people uh, we have information there on housing for ex-offenders, job training, um, all kinds of things to um, be able to service uh, the ex-offender community.
4: So do you see that that role from your office is more of a, is what you call that more of a mandate from your office or more of a public service of your office? Oh, it's a a
0: public service. It's a public service. It's something that I brought to my office because of the need I saw in the community. Uh, No clerk of court um, in uh, Cook County. Nor any coastal court in the state of Illinois, other than my, is doing it, other than myself. So this mm-hmm. is only because something that I made the decision to do. Mm-hmm.
4: So uh, does that have anything to do with your own initiative, with uh, the proclamation for Black Wall Street? That it didn't really have anything to do with your office, but you take on initiatives outside the realm of your office. Is that
0: oh, basically? I do. You know, when you see me uh, out and about doing the things, I've had a house support summit on the weekend, domestic violence summit. I have a domestic violence liaison. They go around and talk about teen dating violence, domestic violence, I teach community groups and church groups, and we go to schools for teen dating violence. Those are things that we don't have to do in the office, but I feel that if you are a public servant, and you should uh, be serving And so I try to look at whatever ways within my office that I can reach out and make this office relevant to the people.
4: Oh, so that got a lot to do while you ran for mayor then.
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely.
2: <laughs> okay.
4: Well, uh, It's all about yeah. serving. Okay. Right. We definitely, what we would like to do, we're running up against our clock now, uh, Ms. Brown and our other guests, but uh, we definitely will want to have you back on. Uh, We do want to have you all to listen in next week because we are going to be having a roundtable, per se, of different candidates uh, that we're going to bring up about the uh, ex-offenders as well. And I normally uh, definitely didn't let our host, um, co-host, Sonia Perdue, have as much time as she should have as we come to the end of the program. She's probably going to choke my neck. However, she's not here to do so. Um, Sonya.
3: Thank you, Mr. Carter, and thank you, Ms. Brown, for taking time out of your schedule and for all that you do. We appreciate this information. It's very important to all of us that we continue to share this information and uh, what you do with our our listening audience. And uh, we do certainly want you to come back, and we we certainly want you to come back and talk about this particular subject a little bit more, if you would, please, Ms. Brown. Not a problem. Okay. Not a problem. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, and uh, we'll be in touch with you. And stop by yes. next week if you can. That'll be great. <laughs> we, we,
0: we will, we'll, we'll have the uh, PR people to contact you too so that we can determine to make sure that we are able to give you the adequate time that you need. That's Thank you
4: great. so much.
3: Okay. Thank All you then. so much. Have, have a great evening, Ms. Graham. I right, thank you. Sure. So both of you also.
4: Thanks. Sure. Okay, Sonia, we're at the end of our uh program here. Um the I think the uh our caller from earlier that raised the question what is Black Wall Street doing uh based on are we promoting our ex offenders as he raised that question. But we do understand in sustaining and increasing black businesses that the prison uh or the uh the criminal element Has a lot to do with the stabilization of our communities. And we have to include every aspect as we're looking at how do we sustain and increase businesses, not only with the services that our guests provided us in working with employers, but also the overall perspective of our communities as it relates to uh, ex offenders. And my, uh,
3: I disappeared there for a minute, but I am back. And uh, Where did you we want to thank—I don't know—I got shut out of my own show. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I'm just, I'm just pushing buttons here. I just, I just work here. I, can, okay. I can't, I can explain it. But uh, we want to, we want to take the last couple of minutes to invite you to. Uh, uh, of course, we do thank all of our guests, and we do. Hope that we have them back again for a roundtable. Uh, we can't sure. get this information out enough, and we will replay this show again this week. And uh, we want to thank Tracy Artis over at City Metropolis 2020. Oh, she works so hard to get this out, and she does a great job doing it. Thank you, Tra- uh, Trinice. Trinice Artis. Uh, October the 6th. We are having a meet and greet at the offices of South Street Journal. That's 4.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. I want you all to come over and join us. That's Wednesday, October the 6th. Uh, also, I want to remind them again, there's a press conference here at 449 East 35th Street tomorrow regarding the Put Illinois to Work program. Uh do you have any upcoming events coming up, uh, Mr. Carter? You'd like to share with us?
4: Well, we're definitely going to have Black contractors in the neighborhood. They're going to be meeting this Saturday at 10 a.m. Um, addressing um, uh, um, what is that? I'm sorry, parity of contracts and also a better relationship with uh, the consumers as it comes to Black contractors. And that would be great. Saturday at 10 a.m.
3: That's great. Also, uh, we want you to know it's almost summit time again, so save the day for November 20th. Uh, that will be summer, summit number 14. I know time is flying, isn't it, Ron? Can you believe? Oh,
8: yeah.
3: It? When you started this, and you would be up to summit number 14. You got 30 seconds to answer that question.
4: Uh, yes. I knew it. It was a plan. It was all in a plan. I knew what I was, was doing and knew I and I knew where we need to go. Yes, it was a plan. That,
3: that
2: That's why we started
4: good. off with the Roman numerals.
3: Oh, is that right? Roman what it N-
4: is? N- yeah, Roman numerals always continue.
3: Is that right? Okay. Right. Well, Mr. Mm-hmm. Carter, uh we certainly want to thank you for all that you've done for Black Wall Street, even in the even in uh since I've only been here since December, we do want to thank you for all that I you give. I thought you've been here for three at, years. <laughs> it feels like it. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it feels like it. But we want you to join us next week. We're inviting all candidates for office across the city and the state to join us next week. Uh, you will see it posted on Mr. Carter's Facebook, on my Facebook. Uh, visit, us, visit us at Chicago's com for updates on all events. We want to thank all our guests for joining us and certainly the clerk of the circuit court. Thank you, Mr. Carter, for all that you do, and we'll talk to you next week.
4: Thank you, Sonia, and our guests. Good night, all.
3: Good night, everyone.